Shalom and blessings. This is Pastor Clifton McDowell Sr. here at the Church of God of East New York, located in the heart of Brooklyn. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray this week's sermon blesses and encourages you for the journey. God bless. Now enjoy the sermon. Well, if you have your Bibles, I have a short text, and it's in the midst of a long passage, and I won't Usually, I read the context, but um, I'll have to tell you about that. But the passage is in First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. And let me read it quickly. It says, The men of Issachar, who understood the times, and knew what Israel should do, 200 chiefs, with all their relatives under their command, I want to share with you this morning on the theme, A Church for These Times. Well, Israel, God's chosen people, was now involved in a crisis of mega proportions. They were experiencing social upheaval. They were in the midst of political intrigue. Major changes are taking place and they were having a crisis of faith. You see, the first king, Saul, after a brief reign, he lost his way, and then lost his mind, and was rejected by God. Folks, it's a terrible thing to feel and know that God has rejected you. Now, David a talented young man that Saul brought into his service became very popular and Saul became very jealous. In fact, David was later anointed as king by Samuel and and Saul decided he wants to kill him. So David had to flee for his life in the wilderness being pursued by Saul's men. If you want to see the intrigue and the full context of this uh, happening, you, you can read, read it all for yourself in First Samuel and continue. Very interesting reading. A lot of us neglect the Old Testament, but it's great reading and great lesson to be learned. Now, warriors from the 12 tribes of, of Israel began to join David in the wilderness and they wanted to install him as king over Israel. Now, while this was happening, the Philistines declared war against Israel. Saul, their king, led them into battle and was defeated, and eventually he committed suicide. What an end to a life that was approved by God in the beginning. Well, some of you might be saying to, in your minds, what on earth does this have to do with us? In the land of America, free and brave, what, what does it have to do with us? An old story over 3,000 years ago. Well, it's true that times have changed, but humans haven't. We've been the same since... Garden of Eden. Time moves on 
and it carries us along as willing or unwilling passengers, whether we like it or not. Now, as I contemplated um, Israel's situation, their, tri- their crisis, and I began to think about our own crises, when you stop to think the last 10 years in this wonderful country of ours, this, quote, Christian country of ours, changes have been unprecedented. Violence have become a way of life, and I'm not going to stop to tell you all about the school shootings and all about the shootings at McDonald's and all the shootings in churches and all the shooting on the streets. I live in Chicago, and every single weekend, we have no less than 30 people being shot, 10 of those dead, children included. I won't go over this. You know that. It happens in your city as well. We read the paper, we watch TV. Violence is now an epidemic in this land of ours. Murders and murderers are becoming younger every day. Kids 15 are shooting, kids 5 and 10 years old. Immorality is now norm in our country. As a country, we have lost our moral, our moral anchor. Wrong has now become right. Nothing is sacred in our country anymore. We have become this Christian country. We have become an immoral country where wrong is now right. Political upheaval is now the way of life. We're in an election period right now, and every politician is making great promises and criticizing one another. Truth be known, immorality is rife even in that level as well. Upheaval is taking place. Well, COVID has taken up residency in the world. COVID has taken up residency in our country. And yes, COVID has taken up residency in our churches. That's why we're wearing masks, all of us. Continue to do so. And the world now is on the brink of a major conflict. Nuclear war is being promised. And the church is caught up in the middle of this. Whether we like it or not, we are part of all of that. We're in the middle of it, and the question is, how do we respond? What should we do? What does the Lord require of us in this changing situation? Now, in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, the chapter we just read, it lists all the tribes who came to be with David. It lists their skills. They were skilled warriors. And it's fascinating to see what these brothers learned to do as warriors. I won't tell you them all. You can read it for yourself. It tells about the numbers who came. These were loyal men, skilled in the art of war. They were followers who needed a leader to tell them what to do and where to go and when to act. Then all of a sudden we come to verse 32. And and, and instead of telling us the art of war and what these leaders could do, these brothers could do, he talks about the sons of Issachar, as the King James listed. 
And the NIV says, the men of Issachar. And verse 32 tells us, they had some special and powerful gifts. They had special skills that were different from everybody else. And the author made sure he mentioned that. The Bible tells us they were men of observation and analysis. The Bible says they were thinking men, the men who understood the times. They looked around, they analyzed it, they saw what was happening, and they understood what was happening. Not only did they understand what was happening, but the Bible says they knew what Israel should do. It's one thing to understand and to analyze. It's another thing to develop a plan and know what needs to be done. And the men of Issachar had both of those skills. They understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Solutions, actions. The Bible says they knew what Israel should do. That's the church's challenge this morning. Not just to see what's happening. Not just to understand it but to develop strategies and develop a plan and to know what to do and to know what God requires. I believe you will agree with me that amidst all the disturbing changes in the way things used to be, and boy, do we like things as they used to be. We get accustomed to that. We can predict them. We can follow. We know what's going to happen. But amidst all these new changes among us, amidst all of that, the disturbing changes and the way things used to be, the shift in morality and values, the violence that are taking place to life and limb, with all the uncertainties of the future, we cannot just look away as if it's not happening to us. We can't just look at it and do nothing. It is obvious that we cannot, as a church, do church the way we used to do it. I confess to you, I pastored for 22 years, and occasionally I would travel on a Sunday morning to another church. And Brother Cliff, I could look at my watch, and I say, announcement time at my church. I could look, praise team is just going up to sing. Time for the pastoral prayer. Because we were predictable and everybody knew what was coming next. And I suspect there may be some truth to that in this lovely edifice that we have. We grow accustomed to the things as they are and they, as they used to be. But, but we cannot do that anymore. The same way, the same time, the same, same means. It's obvious that we have to make some adjustments in this time in which we live. Now, I do not believe the things we should do and know to do should be based on new techniques. Now, stay with me. Don't write me off yet. I, I don't believe we should base the things we should do on new discoveries. And yes, don't throw your Bibles yet, but I, I don't think the things we need to do should be based on new technology. I believe the changes we need to make as a church for this age should be based on principles that are eternal. Eternal, born in heaven, watched over in heaven, 
was here before we came and will be here after we are gone. Eternal heavenly values. That's what I think our changes should be based on. Number two, our changes should be based on changeless truth. You know something? Truth is not fickle. Truth doesn't adjust to the times. Truth are changeless. They stay the same. And I believe they should be based on the unique benefits that only the church can provide. You know, the Bible says, the church is like salt, and the church is like light. And whether the world wants to believe it or not, whether you believe it or not as a church, the world needs us, especially during these times. Now, there are three mandates the church must pursue in these trying times. If the sons of Issachar were here, I think they would approve three things I want to say to you this morning. Number one, a church for these times must pursue renewed relationships. Oh, that's an old word. Oh, we hear that all the time. Relationships. Often, we do not recognize always that our lifestyles and our culture and our environment makes it hard and sometimes even discourages true relationships. Stay with me. Also, there are temptations in our midst to abandon the old, the passé, the often used words, the familiar, the tried and true, when something new comes along. And the new thing that is here is technology. Well, there are some who believe that technology will solve the problems of the world. And there are some who believe that technology will revolutionize our ministries. Don't misunderstand me. Yes, I believe in technology. Yes, I believe that one of the, the greatest development in our generation since I was born is technology. I, like you, utilize it, even though I don't understand it most of the time. For example, I, when I'm going somewhere new in my car and I, I don't know where I'm going, I press a little button and I begin to talk to the screen. And I say to myself, I'm talking to a machine. And a little lady comes on. You've been there. You've done that. And I tell the lady where I want to go. And the screen starts spinning a little bit. And my direction comes up. And the lady says, on the next turn, on the next tree, take a right turn. And I don't understand where she is. I don't know how they do it. But I follow this little voice on the screen. And it takes me where I want to go. I believe in technology. I hope it never changes because I don't know how to follow a map sometimes. But the little voice, technology, creates a way that we know where to go. <coughs> now hear this. You may not agree with me, but it is possible that technology is one of the hindrances 
of real relationships. Don't write me off just yet. Don't write me off just yet. See, for most of us, it's easier sent to send an email, to send a tweet, to send a text, or post something online. Go on Facebook and send a message to somebody rather than visit someone and have a face-to-face conversation to see their eyes, to watch their tears, that build relationships. My sister-in-law used to work in the office of a megachurch. And I have no trouble with megachurches. But she says all the secretarial staff was in an open area with their own little cubicles. And she said, i got to quit that job. I said, why do you quit it? She says, I was lonely. I said, nobody talked in the day. Somebody, two, two cubicles down, had a message for me, and they emailed me. Nobody walked over and called my name, looked me in the eye, and asked me a question or sent me a message. They sent me an email. They send me a text. Listen, relation, it is great technology for information, but it does not help us to build relationships. Relationships. Hear this. The church has not recovered from COVID. We have gotten so accustomed of going to worship and having meetings on Zoom and on YouTube. And we do that in our pajamas with a cup of coffee on the side. And we think we have gone to church. And maybe when the churches were closed, that may have been a good thing, but we need to realize it robs us of relationships. And know that COVID is over. And the folks have trouble getting dressed and getting in their car and handling traffic to come to church. They'd rather watch me and pastor on YouTube and think I've gone to church. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you have trouble. I, I, I've had to some meetings on Zoom one t- some time to time. I used to attend a prayer meeting that was international on Zoom. Great information. But have you ever tried to sing on Zoom? I I tried and I quit. Because I'm not a soloist. But we have recovered from that. And it robs us of our relationship. And in fact, some folks haven't come back to church since. They will visit you on Zoom. And they will visit you on FaceTime. Yeah, I use all of that too. But it doesn't build relationships. Now, relationship was central and indispensable through the Bible. This is why temples were built. Temples were built so that folks could have, thank you, my brother, relationships. By the way, newsflash. 
as beautiful as this edifice is, it is just brick and mortar without relationships. Brick and mortar and carpeting and lovely chairs without relationships. Throughout the Bible, all the New Testament, we will find passages with the begats. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat so and so. And to be honest, most of us read, overlook that. Too many begats. And we think it's just history. No, 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 no. All those begats are talking about relationships. Listing names of fathers and their sons and their lineage. Relationships. Not just history, but they're about relationships. Now, Jesus needed relationships. The Son of God on earth needed relationships. And he pursued them. For example, Mark chapter 3, verse 13 informed us that when Jesus chose the 12 apostles, two reasons were given. Let me read it. He chose the 12 apostles so that, first, they may be with him relationships and that he may send them forth to preach. Now hear this. No one is legitimate. No one is qualified to preach or to teach or to minister unless they have a relationship with Jesus. In fact, you can throw your Bibles if you want to. No one is qualified to serve in the church unless they have a relationship with Jesus. I remember one of the churches I served, it was time for trustee choosing. And we had a, we had a committee that did the selection and I called them in and I said, okay folks, we need two trustees. Here are the qualifications. First one I said, you, they must be saved. Not negotiable. If they're not saved, don't bring their names. And I listed of other things. About a month later on, they came and said, Pastor, we can't find anybody. What do you mean you can't find anybody? Can't find anybody that meets all the qualifications you mentioned. What do we do, Pastor? I said, we leave them open. Because we cannot elect people to serve in the church who do not know Jesus. Jesus needed relationships. And if you watch his lifestyle, he maintained that. All those mountain times of the twelve, when he took them aside, he's building relationships. All those boat rides, middle of the day, middle of the night, relationships. All his visits to Mary and Martha's house, relationships. Matthew chapter 9 and Luke chapter 19, when Matthew was, was called and saved and Zacchaeus jumped out the tree, well, Jesus says, let's go home and eat together. Relationships. And in fact, when you look at the early church, read it in Acts chapter 2, all that they did 
build relationships. They were moving from house to house, having prayer meetings together where they could see each other. They were eating together. They were worshiping together. When was the last time you had a prayer meeting in somebody's house? Relationships. That's how the early church grew. Relationships. In fact, whenever you read the New Testament and you see things like each other, one another, the brethren, the household of faith, those are all terms that involve relationships. I'm hurrying. Write down these two things. The world, with all its pleasures and allurements, cannot provide relationships that feed and satisfies the soul. They can titillate your flesh, but they cannot provide relationships that feed and satisfies the soul. In fact, this is the hunger of sinners. Relationships. Now, research has shown that if a new member comes to your church and does not have a meaningful, lasting, true relationship in six months, they move on to Second Baptist Church. Ah, I didn't create that. Research shows that. And if they go to Second Baptist Church and didn't find a relationship over there, they try All Saints Church of God. Because people need relationships. I remember a lady who got saved came to a church and got saved. And about a month after all, she came in excited. She said, Pastor, I found a friend. And one of the older saints, her age, hooked up with her. And they sat together in church every Sunday. They came to prayer meeting together. They went to the church picnic and they're always together. And she said, Pastor, I found a friend. Relationships. Here is the second point, And I'm hastening on. If the sons of Issachar were here, they would talk about maintaining authenticity. Authenticity. The term authenticity means that which is reliable and trustworthy. Hmm. That which is genuine. That which is really what it's represented to be. That which is bona fide. That which is corresponding with truth. That is, it, it's a term that corresponds with, with truth. The, there is a term we use commonly in our culture. That when we want to reinforce something that is real, true, trustworthy, and authentic, we say, it's the real McCoy. You heard it before. The real McCoy, not a fake but the real McCoy. Here is where we got that from. There was a gentleman way back in the olden days named Elijah McCoy. Now, Elijah was an inventor. He invented all kinds of things. And I won't stop to tell you all of them. But every time he invented something, some other people tried to do the same thing. And amazingly, the 
the folks who came after Elijah um, McCoy and imitated him, their stuff didn't work like McCoy's things. Now, Elijah McCoy invented a device to lubricate machinery. And the, the, the persons who came and substituted and tried to invent their type of thing that did the same thing, theirs didn't work either. So when the train mechanics and the automobile mechanics and all the engineers would go to buy the tools, they would say, I need the real McCoy. The authentic ones. The ones that did exactly what he said it would do. Now, believe it or not, folks who do this kind of thing have done some research and discovered that non-church folks, sinners, confess that they are looking for the real church, the church that the New Testament describes. Now, George Barner, one of the most effective Christian researchers around, did some investigation as well, interviewed hundreds of non-church folks. And he asked the question, how do you view the church? Hear this. 45% of those folks interviewed said they saw the church as hypocrites. Well, they may see different things, but they saw the church as hypocrites because they say, we do not practice what we preach. And we do not do what we say we are going to do. So they think we're hypocrites. Well, the sons of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Perchance, it is time for this generation to become known as the generation of doers, not just sayers, preachers, talkers, but doers. Young people, I challenge you this morning. Become part of the generation of doers, or the modern sons of Issachar. Now, the challenge of the church in these times is not ignorance, not a lack of information. Believers can't say this is, I didn't know. The Bible is prolific in describing who God is, describes his character. He describes what he has done for the world, and what he continues to do for the saints, the resources he has provided. And, and he, he, sets, he sent his son as the model, the real McCoy, if you please, so that we could see who God is. And the Bible describes how Christians should live to please the Lord. Now, I can't speak for Second Baptist Church down the street or whatever churches down up the road. I can't speak for those churches. But I know that this church is not short of preaching. This church isn't short of teaching. This church is not short of demonstration. This church is not short of holy living and examples. This short church isn't short of how a husband and wife should live. Because I know your pastor. They live it. They show it. So nobody in this church could say, I didn't know. 
Our challenge is the doing. Now, know this. We do not become doers of the word. We do not practice authenticity to please the world. No, that's not our plan. We don't do that. We're not interested in pleasing the world. We're interested in doing the words. We practice authenticity to please the Lord. We practice authenticity to provide and to prove our love for God. Here, Jesus, John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, don't just blow your horn and put a bumper sticker on your car. If you love me, just don't come to church every Sunday and give your tithe. Good things. If you love me, don't talk about the doctrines. If you love me, just do what I command you. And finally, Jesus said, if you love me, you do what I want to save your souls. Because not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father. I challenge you this morning. Become a doer. Doer of the word. Be authentic. Be the real McCoy of Christianity. And I close with this piece quickly. Number three, be an urgent evangelist. Mm. Now, we are accustomed to hear about evangelism in most churches. But urgency is not very common. If we're going to be urgent evangelists, we need to understand this and understand the times. Listen to this. About 10 years ago, some social scientists who studied trends and changes in people and personalities, the movements of people, values, and all that stuff, made this projection. Listen carefully. They said 10 years ago, by 2035, the church in America will have lost its influence and its importance in American life and culture. By 2035, now, there may be some exaggerations. You, you may not believe that. It may be true, it may not be, but somebody kind of discovered some trends that are going that direction. Some of you know that I preach at the General Assembly in Jamaica this, this April, around Easter time. And during my visit with the pastors, I asked one of the leading pastors, how many churches of God do we have on the island? And he quickly told me the number, and I thought he was finished. But then he added this. He says, of all that numbers, 25 of those congregations are struggling to survive. If that doesn't bother you, hear this. Ponder this, if you please. Over the past decades, in the U.S., this Christian country of ours, 3,850 to 7,700 churches close annually. The numbers again. 
3,850 to 7,700 churches close annually. Hey, I wonder how true that is. Well, in my state of Illinois, the state pastor and I are good brothers. We're close. And we share our personal concerns and our personal struggles. One day, he confessed to me that he was heavy laden because he has to close 20 churches in the state that week. Pastor, I don't know what's happening in New York, but some churches never opened from COVID. They just closed. Some churches just merged with another church. And churches are closing all across the country. This surely should cause everyone of us to pause and ponder. Jesus told us a lot about ourselves. He said, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Citizens upon the hill. However, the single mission that he left us with is evangelism. That, that's it. That's the single mission he left us with. And I'm getting ready to close, so stay awake with me a little longer. The single mission. Go make disciples. Go to every culture. Make disciples. Go announce good news. Go and announce the gospel. Go and announce that Jesus saves. You know, in subtle ways in our churches, we have come up with a new technique. We focus now on cunning instead of going. We focus on coming. We say, come to our great church. It's new. It's fully carpeted. Nice air-conditioned building. Latest technology. Comfortably. Have your own chair. You don't have to squeeze in a pew. Come to our church. We have a great pastor. He's been with us for 42 years. Good wife, loving marriage, great children. He loves the saints. He'll care for you. Come to us. When in fact... We should be calling folk to come to Jesus. Jesus never told us to come, invite them to your church. Invite them to me, come to Jesus. After they come to Jesus, bring them to your church. See, a lot of churches, and I, I, I have a, just a little bit of notes here. A lot of churches, we place great emphasis upon worship, great music, and I commend you this morning, you've got it all. We, we place emphasis on body life, upon fellowship, all good things. But you know what, folks? Sinners don't know how to bind to that. Sinners need Jesus. Evangelism fits in there somehow. But we need to be more urgent. Now, over the years, we have developed some very nice excuses that satisfies our emotions. We, 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 our excuse is this. We, we don't know how to talk to people. We're eloquent in everything else. We have discovered a strange thing that folks in the church were, were eloquent. We can talk about everything else. We can talk about the latest sales. 
from J.C. Penney's and from Marcus, all the, the places, and Amazon, they, you can tell how much it costs on Amazon. We can talk about politics from now until tomorrow. We can talk about TV shows, have mercy. We know all the characters, all the changes. We, we, we're eloquent when it comes to that. We talk about them to each other, but we have difficulty talking about Jesus, and we say, I, I don't know how to talk about Jesus. Boy, the devil messed us up, I'm telling you. I challenge you this morning. Become gores. Become doers and gores. Become evangelists. I challenge you. Bring Jesus to them. Bring them to Jesus first. Bring them to your church. Don't depend on our pastor to be the only evangelist. Oh, we have a great pastor, a good preacher. He knows how to convince folks. and We pay him nicely to win souls. That's not what you pay your pastor to do. That's your job. See, we got quiet, Pastor. It's your job. Every one of us are required to be evangelists. Every one of us can say, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus will forgive you. Jesus will change you. Jesus will restore your marriage, restore your life. We know how to say that. Believe it or not, the world doesn't expect all of us to be theologians. They expect us to be witnesses. Talk about what you know. Talk about what Jesus did for you. Become evangelist. Become doers of the word. Become folks who go to win disciples for Jesus. Be an urgent evangelist. We're losing time. We're losing time. And the world is going to hell. Pray with me. Thank you, O oh Father, that we are not left in the dark about what you expect from us. Thank you that you have done mighty works in our lives that we can talk about, testify about. And I pray this morning that you would touch the hearts of your people. First, Lord, make us doers of the word, not just hearers. Make us doers of the word. Simple doers. Just, just do it. And God, make us goers instead of comers. Touch our tongues and our minds. Take away fear from us. And help us just to say what Jesus did for us. Don't have to say it profoundly. Don't have to be a theologian, just say, this is what Jesus did for me. Make us urgent evangelists so that your kingdom can come in our midst. We thank you for hearing us, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Wow, that was a great message. Thank you for joining us this week. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and tag us in your social stories at C-O-G-E-N-Y. Thank you to those who have given generously to this ministry in the past. And if you'd like to become a contributor, head over to cog-eny.com. That's cog-eny.com. And just click on the offering and donations tab. Again, thank you so much. Now God bless.